0: Hello and welcome to the MSLA Library podcast. I'm Luke Steer, the librarian at Wilson Middle School in Natick, Mass, and the MSLA Forum co-editor.
1: And I'm Ella Stocker. I am the librarian at Amherst Regional High School in Amherst, Mass. And I am also the MSLA West Area co-director.
0: We are in the gutter, the land between panels of colors and sequences that make stories in a visual medium between that of movies and novels, or at least that's kind of how I talk to it with kids, uh, the graphic novel. And we have with us, Lizza Halley. Welcome. Hi, Lizza. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, so I currently work at the Waltham, Waltham Public School at the Clemson Elementary School, K to five. This is my second year, so you can imagine what my first year was like there. Um, and I actually um, sort of came in being hired after the death of Judy Paradise, who's a beloved librarian and MSLA, and in the world. And I feel so really, really honored to be able to be in the school. The kids are amazing and it's such a great job. And you can really see her impact every single day. And I'm not exaggerating. Kids talk about her all the time. Um, and before that, I was a librarian at the Fenn School for two years, which is a fourth through ninth private school for boys and a K-5 librarian in Arlington in the town where I live. Uh, for four years. So um, that's my sort of work part and I'm so thrilled to be able to come and talk to you about graphic novels because I love talking about them and encouraging people to sort of really integrate them more into their classroom work and into their library.
0: Funny that you mentioned Fenn because before I was in Natick I was at Hillside for four yeah. years. All boys school but Mm -hmm. I have to say that my experience, I taught English and ran the library at Hillside, really had me scrambling for something to find reluctant readers, like the middle school boy as a pinnacle example of that. So maybe you could start there. I mean, was that something that you started using at Fenn to get boys to read? Or where do you get interested with this, maybe personally or professionally?
2: Well, what was really exciting about Fen is I was working with Sam King, who's a fantastic librarian who actually was very, very encouraging and excited that I love graphic novels. And so basically I built up the entire lower school, which is fourth and fifth grade, and really built up the middle school uh, graphic novel section in their libraries. And I think that it was really, really popular. I mean, they're, you know, a well-funded school. And so they already had a lot of resources. that I was able to sort of kind of get it to the more current, updated, like, books that I knew that kids would like and were reading. It's funny that you talk about that because like, I know that the perception is graphic, no- like, a lot of people go that route, like, graphic novels are reluctant reader. But I actually don't generally, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, that's true that's like a given but you know I think it's actually more visual books not necessarily even graphic novels that are for the reluctant reader so you know the wimpy kids and the big and the big nades really fly off the shelves here at my school and Captain Underpants and you know book diaries yeah dork diaries are huge with my population here Mm -hmm. and it's really wild because a lot I don't know if you noticed this this is Not exactly about graphic novels, but it's related to that a lot of students in the pandemic year have been choosing books that are their comfort books. Yeah. Like we absolutely could not keep one wimpy kid book on our shelves. Mm -hmm. And it was weird because not as many big needs were going out, but if they were in the school, big needs would be going out more. And Dork Diaries, Bad Kitty, like lots of like just really comfort, fun, humorous books were were going out. But yeah anyway that got us a little bit on a different topic but you know for me graphic novels really are there's such a span it's really the medium right like we're talking about a medium that covers many genres and there's really a book for everyone the science reader the fantasy obsessed person the sci-fi the mystery like there's all different kinds in with like within the medium of genres in historical fiction like I just think that um, there's something for everyone in there. And you know, I don't see just my reluctant readers going to the graphic novel section at all in our school.
0: Part of the conversation that I have with teachers, and maybe we can kind of get into what your experience with the stigma that's like kind of the anti-graphic novel stigma, which I admit, like, I'm not seeing as much as I have seen in the past. But part of defeating that, for me, has been getting into the granularness of defining the genres within it, like you said, right? And talking about what's the difference between a comic book and a graphic novel, or the example of, like, a visual novel versus a graphic novel, right? Because, like, I have my Dork Diaries and my Diary of a Wimpy Kid in my series section with other books with the harry potters and the john flanagan and and the um in the stephanie meyer and stuff like that but then i have the dog man in a basket underneath the graphic novel shelf Mm -hmm. and just like you were saying when we went hybrid and kids could get back into the library they all wanted dog man Mm -hmm. and there was kind of a negative capacity in defining that as like oh everybody just wants to eat some junk food it's like and I'm like well you know comfort food can actually be quite filling too you know what I mean like comfort food might be like mom's macaroni and cheese and it's maybe not the healthiest thing for you but it's really positive to see those kids checking out like three or four books in a week when otherwise they just wouldn't be coming into the library.
2: But I you know with being at the fan I definitely have some experience with the middle school and I have 14 year old boy and 19 year old and they're both like I've grown up with them reading graphic novels so we all love to share and talk about books I kind of have a sense of like a wide range of books. But I was going to say that, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that, um, especially when I first came to Plumpton, but any school I've been in, most teachers will say like, it's not, there, there is still the thought that it's not really reading, really and truly that that's for sure for many people, but they are more open now. And I would say that I, um, you know, like any time, like a kid, like, you know, the kids, like, there's just like no other book in the library of a dog man. Like literally the, like we have 14,000, but there is no other book. And for that child, you know, I love to, like, I, I remember when my 19 year old was in first grade and the teacher was like, you just have to pick other formats of reading than just graphic novels to my son. And I was like, it's a pleasure time. Like I don't really get why, you know. And I, I do understand in the broad sense that there that we want them to know over the course of their school careers that there's like a whole bunch of different books and they're gonna get exposed to all different kinds of, you know, um, genres and and different kinds of nonfiction over the course of their school careers. So I feel like when you're reading for pleasure, you really should be able to read what you want, and that makes you into like a person who loves to read right um so I do try to have those conversations with teachers but now now we've gotten to the point where they, when they come to the library they know that, that like I'm going to be okay with like you can pick your pleasure reading books and pick a couple that are within your grade level and that are going to help you be a better reader so we've sort of gotten to that happy medium but when I first came here it was sort of more like you only can book pick books that you are able to read
0: I agree I mean I think getting like talking about it in depth is really important influence in this regard by like I feel like it's Melissa Stewart and just does such a good job of discussing nonfiction and all the different types of nonfiction that are out there
2: she does like right.
0: I, I can read like a, do- a dog man book like in an afternoon like it took me like 45 minutes but I had seventh graders who were in that capacity of like dogman 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 all the time and their teachers send them down they're getting an independent reading book and they go right to that basket and as you said lisa that idea that like it's the only book in the library for them yeah. and if you couch yourself in it for a little while and you figure it out you're like oh well you like books that are episodic books that have really like just gonzo low-level humor and uh all <laughs> you know and and, and kind of reach for like, and, and they're just filled with like bad, what, what I would consider bad puns, right? Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the puns are just so on the nose about a dog that would attach to a police officer's head. And and um, once you start talking about it with that kid on that level, I think they like hear communicated back to them, hopefully like what it is they like about that book. And then you can show them like another book. Or you can show them another episodic, like it's like if you haven't read Because of Mr. Torrupt, it's like just as episodic and it's not kind of low fantasy book with this, you know, <laughs> two characters that die at the beginning of Dogman and then get reattached during experimental surgery. Like it's really funny to describe this, you know, like, like graphic novel for kids in like stark, realistic terms, mm-hmm. because it sounds terrifying, but That's kind of what's happening and then if you can you can lead them to something like you know My Life as a Book by Janet.
2: Yeah that's I love to direct kids to those books. Yeah like
0: like that that series uh, to Janice Shan or something I'm butchering the last name but that's got that kind of like gonzo silly humor but on the page like they need to paint the pictures in their own head. Putting some fire under the conversation around it is important for advocacy in that in that area.
1: I also think, um, you know, because I'm at a high school, and my experience both when I was a high school student 100 years ago, and also now as a high school teacher, is that, you know, students do not have a lot of time for independent pleasure reading. And it's Mm -hmm. one of the things they come into the library, and they like lovingly stroke the books on the shelves. And they're like, I wish I had time to read these books, like, I want to read these books, and I don't have time, I don't have time. And so one of the things that I feel like as a librarian, that's it's one of the things I really like about graphic novels is I can say to a kid, well, you know, what do you want to, what do you like to read about, whatever? And I can say like, this is not going to take you as much time to read because graphic novels just are, by nature of the fact that our eyes read pictures faster than they can read words, like often take less time to read for students, especially at a high school level. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such a nice thing to to, like this is a a way you can get some pleasure in your reading, like back into your your reading schedule. Um, And it's also such a great, way for students who I think are at a high school level who content wise are ready for really difficult conversations and difficult topics but are not yet at a reading level to access some of the more challenging like novels that we read in English courses and so being able to say here is a book that's really going to challenge you on an intellectual level and it's really going to help you connect to these things that you are concerned about and care about Um, But in a way that is accessible to you as a reader when you are not yet strong enough in your reading comprehension skills um, or are new to English and are still getting your English, your levels up um, in a way that allows them to feel like they can participate in an English class at the same, in the same way that their peers can. And I'm, I'm happy to say that our English department actually does read a couple of graphic novels. They read Persopolis and I think one other... I know some of our classes read "Hey Kiddo" this year, and I think it'll be another, you know, and see that being included as like an actual, like we are going to read this as a curriculum and like talk about this as a curriculum, um, and not just as an offshoot. So you can see that there is real value in these books, and you don't have to feel like these are books that you should be moving away from just because you're 17 years old or whatever.
2: Yeah, but "Hey Kiddo" definitely is an awesome book. Yeah do Do your kids read it in middle school? First?
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's when we added to the lit center, which is great because it's very central mass. I mean, Natick is in the Metro West, but like I'm from central mass and I've spent a lot of time in Worcester. The kind of gray color palette that you get in like a book like Ethan Frome, right? <laughs> Where Zoska draws it. Um, and it's interesting, you mentioned Persepolis, the other book that gets mentioned in this conversation is Mouse. Maybe not at your level, obviously, Liza. Uh, the kids aren't reading mouse because that's a very complex story within a story. And the symbolism um, is like off-putting at first. They seem to be the kind of personal memoir genre of graphic novels that get canonized and 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 put into lit centers and stuff like that. I am I'm interested in like, what genres do you see as like kind of the big things to talk about, you know, as another inroad to that idea of advocacy and creating a conversation around it?
2: Mm. Well, I, what I really try to do is work on tying some stuff into the curriculum. For instance, the fifth grade, fifth graders did this whole thing on human rights in the fall. And it was like such a timely thing because Victoria Jamerson and uh, Omar Mohammed put together uh, created when the stars are Scattered. and this is about two boys living in a refugee camp from like escaping from uh, war and then coming to America. But they were there for like many years, like twelve years or something like that. And so this is this is like one example. So there's actually a bunch of books that are based in all across the ages um, from an elementary school appropriate book all the way to high school that are based like in refugee camps or talking about like escaping from war and being a refugee in some way so that's like one one example of a book that I would definitely really encourage students to look at you know it's it kind of goes across the board but I like to this other book that came out this year have you ever heard of the Shirley and Jamila I've not heard of that one no Okay. So this one is a new one. That's totally like middle grade. And it's about these two girls who are trying to figure out how to make it a summer fun because neither of them wants to go to the camp that their moms want them to go to. So they come up with this idea if basically they're going to hang out on the bath court near the house together. And they have this whole plan and their moms agree, but it ends up becoming like a Sherlock Holmes girl who's like, a little bit different and she's really obsessive and it turns out there's like this surprise thing that happens at the end but she's solving crime and like someone's hat gets stolen or something like that but from the pool but then it turns out to be this like great friendship novel so I would say definitely like you know in terms of realistic fiction the stuff about friendship you know like all the smile the the what awkward I love um stuff um, yeah Brave, and then the new invisible emmy books. but also like the amelia rules like i hope ne- kids never stop reading amelia rules and it never feels dated because like i absolutely love those books for kids because they talk about like real life issues for kids but they're funny and they're characters and they're silly uh, but they're also like really tr- like some deep deep stuff going on in their life you know mm-hmm. at the same time uh, do middle school students read amelia rules stuff
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, I, mean, oh, I haven't read that book because all three of my copies have been checked out and probably are just lost. We're just going to mark them lost on Friday. Cause it's like,
1: water, yeah, it's and even gone.
0: when the stars, when stars are scattered too, like I have yeah. my student who comes in and she can spot it on the circulation desk. The other one that reminds me of two is the George Takai one.
2: Yeah. That one. They called we us were, enemy. We were talking about in that, in our elementary schools and often like should we put it in and we were just not sure because it's it's pretty heavy. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. That's a great one that came out. Those books that are touching on like either historical moments that have happened, people's real experiences, or coming of age. I mean, I am so excited that Go with a Flow came out. Yeah. You both have it in your libraries, multiple copies. It's so exciting. It's incredible. I know it's so good and I I like actually was um on a call with some librarians and we were talking with a person who's an expert on menstruation and she basically was saying I mean like we all were talking about should go with the flow be in elementary and it was a hundred percent yes across the board even though like I know that there will be some people who are like why are you putting a book that is like middle school girls talking about menstruation but it's true they need to know and to ask questions and like we have fourth and fifth grade girls who are developing they need to know you know yeah anyway those those are some ones that i love to talk about um and then like with the teachers i'm really trying to find some really good tie-ins to their different subjects and kind of make them um like talk a little bit more about how those could be added in as like Either background information or extending, you know, for the kid who needs the extension, maybe, or to pop out a moment that they're talking about, either about like the water cycle or, you know, frogs or whatever it is, um, and their subjects, uh, kids at school from around the world. Um, but I love also the conversation about ways in which to use the model of creating graphic novels into like as parts of assessment or, you know, bringing it into like the classroom in a different way in terms of like it enhancing, like, um, you know, like sort of like talking to what's already going on in the curriculum or kids' lives, but also like, how do they assimilate information and really encouraging teachers to start to have the visual element of kids, like making comics to show their understanding. But then there's the piece of like, you know, how can you use it as a form of assessment mm-hmm. for learning? So we're working together with teachers right now on some of those um, sort of media literacy projects that we do. Like where I come in, and I do note taking and I do we and we work with our tech guy and we do like like for instance, we make um, a website in fifth grade or we they might make a Scratch game actually to show understanding. But then it's like, how do you and also put in there some sort of piece of panels that are showing their understanding.
1: But I totally love this idea, and I am really into it. We're we're working on redesigning um, a project right now that we do with a lot of ninth grade students. That is just we've been doing it for it's a project that's happened for thirty years, and it's just super stale and needs a major revamp. And so one of the things I've suggested is to give students some flexibility, and that one of the options um, would be to do a, something like a graphic novel or a graphic panel or a you know a comic strip essentially about this topic of their, their topic of their choice and I, I love that idea of using it as their assessment tool. There was an art of the comic class in our arts programming this year where they really did like a all they did was comics the whole the whole year awesome. um, and so I've gotten to see some of the final work that they've done for that class as part of sort of their end of year Display, which normally they do like at a gallery and this year it was just a a really awesome slideshow.
0: And yeah, I would just echo that idea of like, you're using it as an example of a way a student might be able to demonstrate literacy or writing skills in another way, that's just better for them. Um, Like the Scott McCloud book, Understanding Comics, which is a comic book about the art of comics is like a really good resource to kind of just pick and choose from. And I used it to teach seventh graders um, Don Brown's book about Hurricane Katrina. Oh, yeah. Because Don Brown does a good job of not getting, say, too sharp with his drawings. There's so much graphic novel um, art that was like sublimated out of that experience for people at the adult level, at the middle grade level, at the elementary school level, at the picture book level, you know. And you can show all these kids, these really different examples that focus in on one family or focus in on the kind of um, the the neglect by the government or, you know, whatever theme the author tries to attach to. And then Don Brown is this level-headed middling nonfiction writer who just chooses to do it as a graphic novelist. And it's brilliant to see the ways that he, like when you turn the page, you're opening onto a full panel with no gutters. And you're saying, what is he trying to do showing all these people outside the Superdome, for example?
2: You can even have them, like, have the kids pick two characters from two different books that you've read and have them talk to each other or do something together in some panels, right? Or it's like create the year before in the book that started or give us another ending, right? Like, you can do that and then have it be like in the comic form. And that's more like literary, but also historical. Like you can say, take a moment that we were talking like our class, our school of the freedom trail. Um, so take a moment during the, or in the American Revolution of fourth grade. So take a moment during the American Revolution that stood out for you and create a panel and tell us about that moment in like with a rubric, right, or whatever. But like again, it's it's you're asking them to assimilate the information, right? And I just I do think that students need to understand how to read a graphic novel. And like Scott McCloud comes in that way because so I did this like PD for four it was with eight eight teachers last summer. Um, but four of them were first grade teachers in my school. And part of the PD was that they had to read one of the chapters from Scott McCloud's book. Just one chapter and like go, t- and then like, what did they take away from? And so it reminded me of when I learned how to read, um, painting. I was mm-hmm. like, um, in my junior year abroad, I did, I lived in Edinburgh and went the University of Edinburgh. And, um, I took this whole like full year course on like, um, uh, what do you call it? Art history. And then I learned how to read a painting in a way I had never understood before. And I was like so excited because of course I love to read books and I was like looking at them visually, like as a story. Right. And it's the same thing when you read Scott McLeod, he's like giving you all the intellectual stuff behind reading a novel and your mind is blown, like of all the work that you're doing. And that was like such a great way to get teachers, you know, because it's a big book and it does take a while to get through the book, but I, it's so worth it, but for te- encouraging teachers even to, there, there's great things you can pull out from Scotland's book to like, just show them very deeply <laughs> that students are doing a ton of work when they're reading a graphic novel and they're assimilating a ton of information. And if they can learn how to create them also, they're doing a ton of work.
0: The other thing I connect this to too is now that I'm not doing English and I kind of, I'm doing a lot more collaborative stuff. Yeah. I think that, um, one of my one of my favorite things to do is to talk to kids about giving effective presentations and a lot of it is a communication through a visual and through how you're standing and how you're um coming off to an audience and how you're reading an audience and mcleod or any art history background will really pick apart kind of a visual thing that you can connect to that right so um Looking at like a flow from one slide to another is exactly what you're doing when you jump over a panel or turn a page in a picture book, and it's cool to find those bedrock skills um, when you're designing a website. You know, the rule of three and navigational glide, for example, is exactly like the way that they would jump across whatever boundaries exist within that medium. So they can just think in terms of navigational glide through my story, through my website, through my presentation, or the way that a that a graphic novelist has decided to to do that and it's um that seems easy to assess to me <laughs>
2: you know yeah, what i mean yeah. get the
0: feedback from them and
2: this has been like such a hard year emotionally for people and i think that the SEL part the social emotional learning that a graphic novel can bring to a classroom is so important because it you know they there's a lot of different not only that social emotional but also like inclusion things like um, when you're reading a book, right, and it's without any pictures, you can make a lot of assumptions about the characters, right? You can sometimes, I don't know if you've done this, where you kind of almost imagine the characters like you, even if they like live somewhere else, because you're like, oh, they're, you know, you're just reading and you sort of always sort of put yourself in that person's shoes in some way. And the, so when you have a like graphic novel in front of you, like this one, Shirley and Jamila when I described it and I described it and we're doing a podcast, no one would know that like one of the characters is a person of color and one of them is white but that's really cool about the visual piece of inclusion publishers are doing this where they're just publishing more books that have more multicultural students or students in, in a wheelchair or you know students with all different kinds of abilities or things going on for them and that's very, very powerful for students to be able to pick up a book and see themselves or see the world, see something that's maybe not themselves, but they're seeing it in like characters from all different walks of life and area and places in the world in a book. That other piece of the Scott McLaughlin piece of like reading body language, right? Like the amazing thing about a graphic novel um, is that they're not just using the speech bubble to express the emotion. They're using the body language. And I love to say, take a panel and just take out all the, the words in the speech bubble and pass it around to students and like have them just fill in what's going on here. Let's just read the page first. How are people feeling? Right? What are they doing? What, why do you think they're feeling that way? Where do you think they're going? Like just make your based on the body language. And then trying to have them fill in, what are they saying? So that they're um, you know, using all of these skills about like reading a room, reading body language, reading people. And those are things that I think, especially for all of us have been remote. Like some, some students have been remote the whole week. You know, like being able to be like that piece of like reading body language, reading the room you can really make those connections with graphic novels in a way that you just can't in chapter books.
1: Such a great point, and I, I feel like it also um, really reminds me a lot of the sort of see, hear, and say reading that you do with, with picture books as well, oh, where yeah. you ask students, like, what's happening in this picture? Like, not what do you see, but what's happening? Yeah. Um, and the amount that students who are, you know, pre-literacy, so kindergartners, preschoolers, toddlers, can tell you what's happening in a picture based on what they're seeing in the image. The, the way that our brains can process images um, so differently before we're able to process text is so amazing to me. Um, and it's something that I, I do a unit with our child development classes where we look at picture books and we talk about the importance of oh, cool. children's literacy and visual literacy. And um, one of the points I always make in that, in that unit when we do that project is around this idea of like, there is so much that a picture can tell you that words either can't tell you or take too much time to tell you. Um, And so really spending time to think about those visual literacy skills and how much they're built into graphic novels. Building those skills as elementary schoolers and picture books and graphic novels and then continuing to see visual literacy as part of overall text literacy I think is so valuable Um, and also really helps to build confidence of students who are not necessarily confident text readers but they can read a visual. They do understand what's happening in the, that image. They do know what's happening in this story. Um, and they don't need to know every word that's on the page in order to follow what's going on. Um, and that's such a great just confidence booster for students who are still struggling to read um, in read text, I should say specifically, you know, because they can read the visual. And so I think making that connection more explicit is is really cool. This is, I think there's such a, a powerful thing about graphic novels, particularly where a picture book has sort of like a cultural connotation of being for young kids Um, even though I don't think that's necessarily the truth. I love picture books as an adult. I think picture books are a great teaching tool for high schoolers and even college students Um, but having that ability to say like a graphic novel looks like a novel. When you're holding it, it looks like a fiction book on the outside. If the books are closed, you wouldn't know what was inside this book Um, and so giving students something that that looks and feels like a chapter book and yet is telling, using those same storytelling and literacy skills in a different way um, is such a great way to sort of get them into the process of reading and and to feel like they are and actually are participating in reading and um, along with their peers.
0: And I think McLeod calls this like the ultimate abstraction, right? When you're reading like a traditional novel, you have just symbols that are letters on a page that combine to make words and they create images in your brain and you have a way of assigning yourself as the person who is going through the experience even if it's somebody who wouldn't be it wouldn't be a mirror book to you right um and one of the best like examples of this is there was a panel at ALA one year of queer writers who were just talking and one they they were just discussing some of their favorite books and one of them got into this idea that like when they started reading Divergent they just assumed the main character was gay Mm-hmm. And I was like, "That's so funny! Like, that's a that's a great like just you know very like frank and obvious thing that happens, but like you don't hear it named as often." With graphic novels, I always thought that it was that kind of step towards film, where the creator is actually doing some of the work for you. But I do think that the um, the pace at which you read a graphic novel versus the pace at which you watch a film. You're able to empathize more with, with the actions and feel like a solidarity amongst somebody who would look completely different than you, maybe,
2: mm-hmm. live
0: in a different world than you, maybe, that you're seeing in the graphic novel and how that can kind of be a powerful, powerful thing.
2: It's really cool in terms of the social justice piece that um, that piece of like the not assuming who's speaking and then also the visual representation. And it's really... It's amazing too, like how many, even in colleges, they're starting to like you know, use like the, like the social justice lens, like looking at graphic novels and then creating graphic novels about issues. Like I've, I've read some articles about some colleges in California that are doing this where they're looking at social justice issues and then creating some sort of piece uh, after they've read a bunch of graphic novels. and. You know, again, something like that when the, when stars are scattered, you know, that just, like, talks so powerfully for the, the middle grade reader, you know, about something that's, like, really hard to understand. And there are just so many more books across the, you know, middle school, high school that, that do that for students. And it's just so, so important. As you guys know, you probably, I'm sure you both know, I'm so excited about the new March book, which is going to be run. Oh, I knew I would forget his name, the guy who did the illustration. Um
1: looking at it right now. It's um uh Andrew Aiden and uh L. Fury is the and Nate Powell are the Nate, Yeah, Nate, Nate Powell, Powell. Is
2: one yeah. About because he started it with um John Lewis in the first book. But um yeah, so it just I'm so excited about that book coming out. And uh that book has like been an incredible gateway book, I think, for a lot of middle school high school and adults to really access this you know like historical piece of civil rights that I think that you know they feel like oh yeah I know all about it but then it gets people into it in such like a deep way develops so much empathy by reading that book And I think it just brought it to life in the ways that I think people who uh, maybe even felt like they knew a lot about the civil rights movement, like they read that book and they were like, wow, that was amazing. But even the like for me, for my my younger people in my life, like who have read that and gotten really into history because of that book, that were the trilogy.
0: Yeah, it really takes its time. And it really, like, I feel like every page of that book respects the scope of its subject. Yeah. Um, for it, or every page of that trilogy. Kind of shifting gears for a second, I'd be interested in your take on the graphic novel adaptations, either of like classic stuff. The big one that jumps out to me is uh, the Beowulf adaptation, mm-hmm. um, which I don't, it, it's quite violent. So I wouldn't think it would be in an <laughs> elementary school. And this, this Beowulf was like quite intense. It looked like an 80s action film, basically. I, know, I love
2: that one. I love that one. I'm, I'm obsessed with the Beowulf story. But I would say that um, in general, you know, um, my feelings are like, I, I definitely had this debate with some librarians where they're worried that then the kid's going to read that and be like, oh, I read that book and not ever want to pick up the book, right? And I would just say that I wouldn't worry too much because it gets, it gets kids like, Excited about the story, and more in some ways, it's almost even more successful. Like, for instance, the adaptation of Tempest or any Shakespearean play. Like, there's some, I would just say that, as with any adapted book, I hate ones that, you know, just butcher the story or just make it too shallow and they take away all the meat. So, like, there are some Shakespearean adaptations and graphic novels that are actually verbatim word for word of the place which i think are really well done um and i also in terms of um I, you know like i mean i love the Beowulf one i love um i let's see I've, I've read like so many adaptations i you know the one thing is that um you know i know some of them it's gonna be really interesting to me to look at because i know you wrote on your list when you were sending me stuff like um, Clifford, the big red dog with in the magic treehouse. Which yeah. honestly like not that excited about them as adaptations, but it's just yeah, like I guess maybe I don't know exactly why, but I like I probably wouldn't like I try not to have Clifford like books in the library, just because I feel like you can get them at the public libraries. So sure um, So I, I have like limited budget. Magic Treehouse is very, very popular in my school. So maybe, so I'm I'm just thinking like Kids love to read Magic Treehouse so much. I think it will maybe make a few more people excited about the chapter books or the series. Like I'm curious if you guys have the warrior books that are the graphic novel or the I think they're actually like manga style, but that's one that I got from like the warrior books are checked out in my school. And then I got a couple of the graphic novels, but the kids don't seem to be so excited about them. It's an it's an interesting thing. I basically think it totally has a place and that if they're, if they're well-reviewed and they're, and they're basically um, really capture the important pieces of what makes that book so important anyway, then I think that it can be a really great gateway or enhancement. Like, did you guys read the Wrinkle on Time one?
1: I haven't, no.
0: We have that one and that one is quite popular, but I haven't, I haven't read it.
2: Yeah, because I think that's a good example of a book that's not accessible to everybody. Right. But then the graphic novel makes it a little bit, it does, I mean, it's still, you know, heady, but it makes it more accessible to some people. And it's definitely not like the most popular graphic novel that we have, but I think it definitely has a wonderful place in libraries and is really, really, really well done.
1: Yeah. I found it really helpful for students. We read the, a lot of students read the Odyssey in, in high school and when they read the Gareth Hines Odyssey yeah, yeah, the that's novel. What
2: I'm trying to think of yeah. yeah
1: and they're still reading the regular Odyssey <laughs> um, that you know the text only Odyssey in class and and with support but it helps them to understand what they're reading in the poem in this way it's Rory is really well done and so you can really say oh this is the same story here is this panel that's explaining or this series of panels that are explaining what's going on now go read this section of the, the epic poem and students are like, oh, he's talking about the boat breaking up, or you know, like they understand yeah, what's happening absolutely. in a way that is not accessible to them without those, that sort of initial reading with the graphic novel.
2: I totally agree. And I think some kids, like some of the adaptations have a place in middle school, and elementary school libraries, but they're books that they might be reading in high school. Exactly. So that's nice too there. They've like gotten familiar with the story in some way. you know. Mm-hmm.
0: I actually am really a fan of the modern rehashings of some of the classic things. Like, and I feel like this is kind of a um, time we're living in right now when you see shows like Stranger Things and the reboot of It, like the remake of the, the Stephen King film. There's like a nostalgia for like a certain like 60s to 80s things just coming back. Like those Flintstone graphic novels, like they're definitely not for kids, but they take something that's so chintzy and simple you know what i mean from from television and they just like they, they blow it up and they did that with howard the duck too in like a comic book form or the other one that we we do a lot of good business in it are like video game based mangas so my legend of zelda stuff is just constantly out and kids are just devouring you know manga which is a whole different subset of my graphic uh that
2: would be fun to talk about um, another time and I also want to do like a lot more reading about manga but the um, you know manga is so fascinating because there's all these uh, Netflix shows that have come out um, the anime and so the kids come in at you know in April after being out of school forever and there are all these like fifth graders and they're like do you have any anime do you have any anime in the library I'm like you mean manga And like, yeah, so it turns out I did have, I did get some Naruto because I, they were asking me, asking me. And then I just, basically there was like, kind of almost like a fist fight over Naruto in my library. And I was like, you know what? I only had three copies. I'm just taking out and I'm doing, I basically have come up with like a list of more appropriate, age appropriate manga for that grade level or my grade level. Um, And one that I just want to mention because it's, Oh my God. I'm just so, does anyone know Yotsuba?
0: I don't think so. Oh
2: my gosh. So this is a series, a Japanese series. It's, uh, I think there's like 20 of them and they're, um, they're um, very traditional manga style and it's about a modern day girl and who lives with her dad, single dad, and his best friend, who's like a giant, he's a guy. And they like their neighborhood and like the things that they do. But yeah, super is really funny because she has a lot of like sort of tantrums and stuff. Anyway, um, so and you know with um with uh manga, they're like her expressions are all super super like uh iconic. What do you call it? Like made into like the icon of experience. was like, you know, she's just like freaking out, and some of them at her dad. She's like ah! In her face, it's so cute. Um, But that's, like, one that I really, like, the kids who are asking me for, for the manga, I'm, they ask for anime, but when they ask for manga for me, I'm trying to, like, steer them towards this, and I have gotten a few bites, like, kids are definitely, like, getting into it, but um, the ones who really want Naruto, it's very difficult. Yeah,
0: it's funny, it's, like, kind of the perfect medium for, like, librarian head-scratching, because you're, like, oh, what book do you need? And the kid is, like, 17 and you're like oh oh, let's see if it's in you know and you're like checking the catalog and then you're like do i have shelf
2: space for this i know Um, all of those things
0: one that we have that i'd recommend is yuzu the vet pet
2: oh yeah Um, no i definitely i got like three copies so far and i definitely want to get that yeah
1: such a manga like manga like newbie like i just know so little about it and students don't ask for it a ton but the few who really are into it are like why don't you have more and i'm like we have some i'm trying (laughs) i'm so sorry well it's
2: all because of netflix because it's gotten really yes and it's also
0: an insane it's like it's it's really hard to have an entry point you know it's like it's like any of of your favorite bands who just have like an impenetrable discography because there's so much out there (laughs) once you You know, it's like, oh, like, I really want to get into jazz this summer. You know, (laughs) like, where do I start? That's, we can probably do a whole other episode on manga for sure.
2: Yeah, it's really, it's Um, it's definitely, I think, going to bleed in more and more. So we definitely all have to learn more about it. So,
0: yeah, we'll have you back. We'll definitely uh, follow this up with a part two and uh, talk manga. And maybe we'll be all better versed in it for sure. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, that's my hope anyway. So, we would love to know what you have been reading lately and what you would like to recommend to people who might be listening.
2: One book I'm really excited about that I read um, that I found out about from a, comic, a Latinx comic con that I have not seen like almost anywhere is called Under the Cottonwood Tree. And it basically um, is set in a little village in New Mexico. And there it's, about, it's like a strange magic has awoken in the village. And it, it has this like Shakespearean flair where somebody gets turned into an animal, a human gets turned into an animal. Um, but it's bilingual, so it has a lot of Spanish in it. And I'm just so, and the art is really beautiful. Um, so that's one book um, that I definitely really am excited about. Um, another one is that, is, is anybody here a fan of Guy Delee? He did Jerusalem.
1: Now you, say, now you said
2: the book title, now I can yeah. picture it, yes. So he, um, so his book just came out in June 6th and I got a pre-order from Belmont Books and I gave it to, like, it was a surprise for my kids because we all love him. And it's called Factory Summers and it just does not fail. It's like a wonderful, another wonderful guy to book about life. And this one is a more personal. Well, all of them are, except for the one about the um, hostage are mostly like personal memoir, but this is of him in his early years, like going to art school and in high school stuff. So, so good. And his palette is so interesting. It's like grays and yellows. And it's about like a factory, paper making factory. So it's really well done. And then this one I haven't gotten through all the way yet because it's intense and I don't want to read it before bed, but it's a family struggle through the Sri Lankan conflict. It's called Bonnie. And I just, saw it somewhere on the list and I was like, oh, I have to get that. And it's by Benjamin Dix. So it's interesting because it's not someone who experienced the struggle, but worked in refugee camps and interviewed people. So um, it feels tiny in terms of understanding refugee issues and world issues. Um, and it goes, it's a family struggle, but the art is really amazing, but the tiny panels, so it's kind of like, it's a bit it's an intense book like not one that you can just read in like one sitting
1: the problem with hanging out with librarians is you're just constantly getting in with like great i books.
2: know and then you have your big stack by your bed and your yeah. stuff on your sora that you have to listen to <laughs> yeah. so what yeah. about you two what have you been reading
1: I will admit, I have been in a bit of a reading slump. I feel like I get home and all I want to do is watch old episodes of Poirot. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So that's been my main entertainment focus. Um, But I did two books I really loved that I read are One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. And Casey also wrote um, "Red, White and Royal Blue, which came out maybe three years ago now. And they're just a really awesome, like queer, positive, funny, sweet, stories that are I, I just loved one last stop if you had if you read one red white and royal blue and you liked it this is even better I think it's just delightful and it has this kind of great like magical realism element where like there's like time travel involved kind of in the story like it's otherwise a totally normal story but there's just a little bit of magic happening in it and it's just so many every every character in it every little side character characters who appear for one one page are so beautifully drawn and so funny and delightful and Um, So I highly recommend that. And then on a very different note, I also read um, Clint Hill's book, How the Word is Passed, which is about how we remember slavery and how we talk about slavery in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's also an amazing poet. And so it's like reading a, a memoir about his 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 like research into this topic. So it's written from this like personal perspective and written like a poet, just like the writing is so beautiful, but it's also about this really deep, um, complicated topic and about how we talk about this deep and complicated topic and how he as a descendant of enslaved people um, sort of lives with that legacy and how we as a country live with that legacy. And it's just so well done. And I I highly recommend it because it's also just really readable. Unlike you know, I, not that unlike other books, but I think you know, there's a lot of books about our racist history as a country that are difficult to read and kind of like depressing and, and really just, you feel like you're sort of slogging through a lot of really difficult history. And this, it never feels like a slog, even when you're talking about really dark and difficult things. So highly recommend it.
0: So for graphic novels, uh, The Runaway Princess by Johan Trianowski, he's French. And uh, The Runaway Princess is just, like, a beautiful little, like, it reminds me of, like, sugary cereal on every page. It's, like, just a tie-dye, kind of, like, high fantasy, really, really strange and out there, but, but really, like, a lot of fun. Um, my, my, my favorite one of recent uh, reading is a book called Pity Party by Cath- Kathleen Lane.
2: Oh, yeah, I've seen that.
0: I just don't know where this book came from or (laughs) like what even the idea is, but I love books that are by people who aren't writers because they're just not bound by any conventions. And I feel like she's like a graphic novel, a graphic designer. And, um, just blew up the idea of a novel and dropped all these ideas of how kids perceive things adults do. It's absolutely hilarious. Kathleen Lane like just paints the funniest picture of like what it's like to be at a school as a middle schooler, I think. Like I think she just hits that voice for me like just perfectly about how absurd some of the things we make kids do. I just couldn't stop thinking about like the mass break scheduling for my school as I was reading this the whole time. And I was like, it's it's such a head-scratcher for me and my colleagues. I can only imagine what the kids think <laughs> of all this stuff that's going on.
1: Nice to hear who people are reading and thinking
0: about. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, Lizza.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, Lizza,
1: this was so great. We loved hearing all your awesome graphic novel insights.
2: Thank you. You guys had a lot of cool insights, too.
1: Uh, You can
0: read Liz's post on the most recent issue of the forum on the MSLA website. Um, It goes in depth on one of the lessons that uh, Liz has been doing, and there's contact information there to reach out if you have any questions. We also have an email now for the podcast, which is very exciting. It is podcast at massschoollibraries.org. So if you have any um, questions, suggestions, comments, barbs, anything that you'd like to send our way, please do. And if you'd like to get involved, or you think that there's somebody out there who would love to be interviewed. Be that person is you. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Luke. I'm Ella. And thank you for listening to this episode.